The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Well, there you go. The division is now up for grabs. The NFC East is back in play. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving Thursday. Uh, I watched a lot of football, but not start to finish football. I watched basketball last night with Maryland rallying from a 12-point deficit uh, in the first half. Uh, to beat Richmond 86-80 to with their best stretch of basketball of the year. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, there is the possibility of a guest. Um, we are having some technical issues with our phone system today, and nobody's in to help fix them. So uh, there may be a guest, and that guest would be Clinton Portis. Uh, and if we can't work it out, then we will try to do that at another time. Uh, I do have a smell test uh, I had the two picks yesterday. I had the Bears minus three loser. I had the Raiders plus seven and a half winner. I've got 11 more picks, including two for today that I'm going to give you right now in case you want to go play these games, in case you actually pay attention to this segment. Um, but I like East Carolina today plus 14, and I like Washington in the Apple Cup plus one tonight against Washington State. Uh, nine more coming up. Uh, when I give you the full-fledged smell test in the next uh, segment. Uh, So the football yesterday, first of all, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I hope uh, that today is going well. I'm not a Black Friday person. I've never once in my entire life stood in line at Walmart or at Target waiting for stores to open on the Friday after Thanksgiving. It's not because I don't like a great deal, um, it's because there's no way in hell um, from a convenience standpoint that I would be up early the following morning if I didn't have to work, which I did this morning on radio. And if you miss Ron Rivera, he was on with me uh, live this morning on radio. Uh, you can go find that on the Team 980. It's the third hour of the show. Uh, he came on with us at about 8.25. Um, I've just never done that before. Uh, I, and by the way, why would you when you can online shop? Um, on Friday. Uh, Maybe people aren't even doing the lines at Walmart and Target anymore. I don't know. Uh, I know COVID changed a lot. I do want to talk about the football yesterday, though, on Thanksgiving Day. Um, 
So I want to start with the first game because the first game featured the Bears and the Lions, the winless Lions. And the winless Lions had a legitimate chance to win the game. The first thing that I want to mention is Andy Dalton in the first half was great. You know, I don't know what Andy Dalton's legacy will be. It will be as a very average starting quarterback for most of his career. Um, but he will go down more likely than not as a very unremarkable figure in the history of the NFL. I would remind everybody that he's been super durable for the most part during his career, and when he got a chance to start early in his career, with Jay Gruden, by the way, as his offensive coordinator, um, not for the entire time that Jay was there, but Dalton was in the playoffs four different times with Cincinnati. Those were decent teams, those Marvin Lewis teams. They never won in the in the postseason. He's got an 0-4 mark in the postseason. Um, but there are, there are times where I've watched Andy Dalton over the years where I'm like, the dude can play the position. You know, and, and really at this point in his life at 34, 35 years old, he is a really solid backup. I'm a Justin Fields guy, um, and I kind of liked the idea if Washington had traded up. Um, trading up for Justin Fields, and I've seen enough this year that intrigues me. I hope he ends up being a good quarterback. I'd like to see him be a, a good quarterback. You know, he had that um, th- that unfortunate game against Clemson in the semifinals two years ago and then came back with one of the all-time great performances in the semifinal last year against Clemson. He was great, by the way, after not playing well in the Big Ten title win over Northwestern. There were a lot of questions about Fields. That game against Clemson elevated his status. He gets picked by Chicago, who trades up. And I thought the game that he had uh, against Pittsburgh on Monday night a few weeks back was his best game and really showed glimpses of what he can be. It'll take some time, no doubt. And he got injured uh, in the last game, which is why Dalton started uh, last night. And I thought Andy Dalton played pretty well. I mean, 24, 39, 317 yards, a touchdown, an interception. Um, The interception was in the red zone. He threw an interception into the end zone. And Dalton's done that over the years. But I think he can make plays. I think he can read defenses. I think the ball gets out quickly. It's decisive. He's pretty accurate. Um, He's a guy, by the way, just, you know, if you're wondering um, about whether or not he's another possibility. Remember, there was the possibility of Andy Dalton in this past offseason. But he's a free agent to be if you're interested in Dalton. All right, enough about him. The game was tight. I, I found it very interesting. Troy Aikman um, and Joe Buck kind of made fun of the game on Thanksgiving Day, some of the things that were going on. And, you know, at one point, I think Buck, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, We are really witnessing a thriller here in Detroit when it was 13 to 7 or 14 to the 13. Actually, you know, these games, and we talked about the Thanksgiving Day uh, situation in Detroit and Dallas. I have no problem with Detroit continuing its tradition. This is a city tradition. This is, if you are a Detroit person, you know, if you grew up in the Detroit metro area, this is something you don't want taken away. It's whether the lines have been bad or not, this is a Thanksgiving Day tradition and families plan around it. You know, they plan to be there. And if they're not there, they certainly plan to watch it. And I, I just don't, I, I don't understand the need to, you know, schedule somebody else. There's no guarantee you're going to get, you're going to get a better game or a better matchup because they'll have to do it like Monday night football. There won't be a flex opportunity for a Thanksgiving day game. Remember that. 
You know, because it's a Thursday and there's travel associated with it and it's not moving a Sunday game to Sunday night or a Sunday 1 o'clock game to Sunday at 425, you would, you'd never have the ability to flex out of a Thanksgiving Day matchup if it sucked. So there's no guarantee you're going to get a great matchup every year um, in, in lieu of Detroit. Probably a better chance of it, I'll concede that, given... Um, how bad they've been over the years, but I don't have a problem with it. And look, that the Detroit game, that game is for fantasy players and betters. It's always been that way. It's never been a big game. It's always been about, ah, we got to get some action on this game. And it's been background noise for everybody else. It actually was a competitive game, but I want to I wanna get to just two memorable moments from the game, sort of memorable. I mean, Detroit did Detroit better than anybody, or the Lions did the Lions better than anybody could have. So the Lions scored a touchdown with uh, late in the third quarter, about a minute and a half uh, left in the third quarter. It was a, a throw from Goff to TJ Hawkinson, the tight end who's now, what, in year three out of Iowa, something like that. 13-13, they put their PAT uh, uh, team out there to kick an extra point. And so they line up to kick the extra point, and they had a player, Detroit did, as they were lining up to kick the extra point. They had a player who realized he was the 12th player out on the field. And so that player uh, started sprinting towards the sideline. Now, when you see that image, you typically will think, oh, man, you got to snap it real quickly. Let's see if we can catch him off sides. But the big difference here is he was – playing for the team that had the ball, that was attempting the extra point. This wasn't Aaron Rodgers coming to the line of scrimmage, seeing the defense scrambling and seeing somebody run run off the field quickly and trying to quick snap to get a five-yard penalty for too many men on the field. This was Detroit lining up for the PAT with one of their own players running off of the field. And instead of waiting for him, as you would if you were thinking about it, to get off the field to ensure that you did not have and were not called for a penalty, they snapped the ball with him on the field. Oh, my God. There there was not a play clock situation there either. Now, it's not a quarterback in charge. There's a quarterback, there's, uh, there's a kicker, there's a holder, there's a snapper. So maybe it's very difficult, and maybe they don't practice much for the snapper or the holder, and it would have been the holder or the kicker to say, Hey, uh, Snapper, wait a minute. Charlie's running off the field. we got to let Chuck get to the sideline or we're going to get called for a penalty. But no, they just snapped it with him on the field. Five-yard penalty, too many men on the field, and they had to re-kick the extra point. They made it. But I just thought that that was so Detroit Lions. Like, hello, kicker, holder. You see the dude. He's on your team wearing your uniform. Let's let him get off the field before we snap it. Um, the second Detroit or Lions doing Lions kind of things moments uh, came at the end of the game. Chicago on a very long drive down 14-13. In fact, after uh, Detroit took the lead, Chicago got an opportunity, had to punt, and then Detroit got the ball back. They had to punt. By the way, in the game, Detroit had second and 32 and third. I'm sorry, they had a third and 32 two different times in the game. They had a third and 32 from their own 49 in the first half, and they had a third and 32 from their own 22 in the second half. What are the odds of two third down and 32 situations? Well, 
they just kept racking up penalties and sacks and other things. But they had two third down and 32s. A third down and 32s, excuse me. Third down and 32s in the game. I bet you that's never happened before. At least exactly 32 yards. The the last thing about this game that I wanted to mention, probably a game that none of you care about and none of you watched, but um, you know, after getting a five-yard penalty when your own man uh, couldn't get off the field on time, and then having two third down and 32s, Detroit let Chicago basically drive out the clock to end the game and kick a game-winning field goal in the final game, uh, final play of the game. But it didn't have to happen that way. D- Chicago down 14-13, and I was hoping, obviously, for a touchdown because I had Chicago laying three, so I wanted 19-14 to with a two-point conversion, something like that. I thought the Bears should be more aggressive. Um, as it turns out, they didn't need to be, but they got uh, into a situation where they had a first and 10 at the Detroit 17-yard line with two minutes and 28 seconds left. Detroit holding all three timeouts, uh, all three timeouts, excuse me. And I thought uh, Chicago would be aggressive there trying to score a touchdown. I also think Detroit should have called their timeouts on defense before the two-minute warning, but that's beside the point. They don't know what they're doing. Um, uh, After a one-yard run uh, came the two-minute warning. Detroit still holding three timeouts. I really thought that Chicago would be aggressive trying to get a first down, trying to get a touchdown, but they weren't. They ran another play with David Montgomery for one yard. Detroit used their first timeout with a minute 54 left. And Chicago faced third and nine at the Detroit 16-yard line. Again, if you're Chicago, kicking a field goal with like a minute 45 left in the game and Detroit holding still maybe one timeout left isn't a great position to be in. I know it's Detroit, but they had just scored two drives earlier. And you're Chicago. You should be thinking touchdown. Anyway, facing third down and nine after Detroit had called their first timeout, before the snap on third and nine, Detroit called a second timeout. You're not allowed to call back-to-back timeouts in the NFL. Remember the famous Joe Gibbs back-to-back timeouts against Buffalo a few days after the Sean Taylor death. And still is, was in, for me, one of the most surreal environments I've ever been in, which was the FedEx field crowd that day of the Buffalo game. Uh, 16 to 14, Washington, Ryan Lindell getting ready to try a 52 or 53 yard field goal. And Coach Joe called back to back timeouts. 15 yard penalty, Lindell kicked a 37 yarder and won the game. That was painful. The whole day was just so sad. And then it was really a painful e- ending, and you just wanted to give. Joe a big hug and tell him it's okay after everything you've done for us it's okay that you didn't know the rule um the rule is no longer a 15 yard penalty but it is a five yard penalty it's delay of game uh five yards and so Detroit by calling back to back timeouts now Chicago faced a third down and four at the Detroit 11. Well, they got the first down on a throw, but it didn't score. And now it's first and goal at the Detroit four-yard line. Uh, Detroit calls its final timeouts, and Chicago winds the clock down to one second and kicks a game-winning field goal uh, from Cairo Santos to win it 16-14. So Detroit got a five-yard penalty for not allowing their own player to run off the field um, and end up being – 
the 12th player on the field. And then they called back-to-back timeouts, which ensured that they had no chance to get the ball back. Now, maybe Detroit converts the third and nine anyway, but third and four was a much easier convert. Uh, convert. So the Bears went at 16-14. God, Detroit is dumb. Um, just not a very bright team. Now, the second game featured the Cowboys and the Raiders. A couple of things. Number one, how about Deshaun Jackson? I mean, Deshaun Jackson is a deep threat in this game for the Raiders. You know, before this weekend started, we, we said, Seattle, they're reeling. The Raiders aren't playing very well. Well, the Raiders all of a sudden woke up yesterday and woke up to the fact that Deshaun Jackson's on their team. They don't have Henry Ruggs anymore, we know. Jackson, three catches, 102 yards, including a 56-yard touchdown pass uh, on, the, um, on their opening drive of the game. Derek Carr was really good in the game. Carr, 24-39, 373 yards. They ran the ball. Josh Jacobs looks really good. The Cowboys were down, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and a few others. But uh, still, the Cowboys put up you know 33 points, 375 yards passing from Prescott. They couldn't run the football against the Raiders to save their life. Um, there were a couple of things uh, interesting about this game. Uh, the Cowboys had a a missed extra point early, and then Zerline came on with six and a half to go in the first half, with the Cowboys trailing 17 to six, facing fourth and six at the Raiders' 40-yard line. And Mike McCarthy, who really has become one of the biggest dopes, I guess he was that in Green Bay, but honestly, when it comes to managing a game and understanding timeouts and clock, he is way up there near the top of the list of the most incompetent. The fourth and six at the Raiders 40, that's a go-for-it situation. They put Zerline out there for a 59-yard. It was actually at the Vegas 41. They put him out there for a 59-yard field goal. I know Zerline's got a hell of a leg. He's already missed an extra point in the game. It's 17-6. to six. He missed it, hit the upright. Uh, the Raiders take over. They didn't make him pay for that, and the Cowboys actually got it back to 17-13 in the first half. And for those of you screaming for them to go for two in that spot, no way. Way too early for them to go go for two uh, in that spot. Way too many possessions left in the game. Way too many scoring opportunities and scoring types. These are the things you have to keep in mind. You know, again, context is everything. If you think you've got the killer play and you don't think the Raiders can stop you on any two-point conversion, we'll go for two almost every single time, unless it's, you know, a PAT to win the game in a tie game or something like that. Um... In the game, Dallas defensive back, listen to this, Dallas defensive back um, Anthony Brown had four defensive penalties called against him, including the massive one in overtime on third down and 18. By the way, Dallas was in man-to-man coverage on third and 18. And Anthony Brown got called for DPI, and that set up the uh, go-ahead field goal or the game-winning field goal for the Raiders. Four penalties, four defensive penalties on one player in a game. A game that, as I mentioned, 28 penalties, 276 yards worth of penalty uh, yardage in the game. Amazing. Third and 18, they're in man-to-man. 
The other thing about this game, too, was just the odd way in which the Raiders handled their final possession of regulation, or their final two possessions, excuse me, of regulation. In a 30-30 to game, they had a chance to, after a first and 10 five-yard run by Josh Jacobs, to let the clock go down to the two-minute warning. The Cowboys didn't seem uh, interested in calling a timeout uh, at that point. And they ran, they snapped the ball before the two-minute warning, and they false started on the play. It should have been second and five on the first play after the two-minute warning, trying to get more yards, first downs, eat clock, kick a game-winning field goal at the end of regulation. And instead, they get called for a false start. Now they're second and ten and have to take the snap before the two-minute warning. That was insane. That was stupid. Um, And then, uh, after, by the way, they they made the 56-yard field goal by Carlson, after the Cowboys tied it up, at the end of regulation, there were still 19 seconds left. The dude Carlson had just made a 56-yarder. The Raiders had a timeout left. They took over from their own 25 after the kickoff went through the end zone, and they kneeled out the final 19 seconds. Derek Carr was lighting the Cowboys up. Anthony Brown was a penalty machine. Why wouldn't you take a shot? You need 30, 35 you know, yards somewhere in that neighborhood for a Carlson field goal, and you still have a timeout left. And you're the Raiders, and you've lost three in a row, and you're reeling a little bit. I don't know why they did that. They won the game, and they deserve to win the game. And the Cowboys have now dropped three of four, and they've been injured. There's no doubt. But so has everybody been else. Everybody else. They get the Saints next Thursday night. That should be a win. The Saints, like the Seahawks, seem dead in the water right now. And then it's the first of two against Washington. They finish the season in Philly against Philly. I'm starting to think personally that could be for the division. The, uh, division. I think Philly's got a better shot at winning the division. I do. Than Washington. But we'll see uh, because there are two games between Washington and Philly, two games between Washington and Dallas, and then Dallas also has that other game against Philadelphia. Uh, the game last night blowout. Man, the Saints suck right now. And Washington, as I mentioned to you on Wednesday, has a chance by late Monday night to be the seventh seed in the NFC playoff picture. If everything goes according to you know uh, the the dreamers' dream, um, and everybody loses that needs to lose, and teams win that they're supposed to win, right now, if Washington wins on Monday night, and you get a Panthers loss. You get um, an Eagles loss. You get a Falcons win. And then, regardless of what happens in the Vikings 49ers game, uh, unless it's a tie, I didn't give that possibility out. Washington would be in a three way tie with five and six teams, Atlanta and New Orleans for the seventh spot, and the loser of the Vikings 49ers. And Washington would, would win that tiebreaker based, based on conference record. New Orleans did beat Washington, but Atlanta beat New Orleans and Washington beat Atlanta. So it would go to conference uh, tiebreaker if you're interested in any of that with still seven games left or six after Monday night. All right, uh, Monday's show will include the preview of the Washington game. Up next, we do have our phone lines corrected. Uh, Clinton Portis will join me right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three games uh, in the book, uh, the three games that we talked about in the last segment. Uh, Many more to come, college and pro, starting today. Clinton Portis is with us on the show, and we're going to talk some football with CP. Uh, Did you watch the games yesterday? And I know you watched the Cowboys um, because I know you early in the season when I talked to you, you thought they were really good. What do you think of them now? I just think inconsistent. I think for the Cowboys, they have to go through the running game. And at some point, you got to give Pollard uh, and his playmaking ability, you got to give him the nod. You know, I know you don't have your receivers, and uh, well, CD was out and Cooper was out, but you know, you still got Gallup and, and, and Wilson and those other guys. They got to make plays. And then uh, you look when you needed a play, Pollard made it. And uh, for me, you look at the defensive side of the ball, um, the, the corner was so hot, you know, and now you're giving up shots. I think you you got to make an in-game adjustment. If you look at number 30, you got him matched up against D-Jack. Two, three pass interferences, you give up a touchdown. Hey, you can't, you can't continuously say, oh, I'm going to leave him on it. Like, he couldn't match up. That wasn't a good matchup, and you got to be able to adjust and change. Four penalties Anthony Brown had. Four defensive penalties in the game. Um, and I thought the call in overtime was the right call, didn't you? Yeah. You know, I mean, when when you – after the first three, you shouldn't have had a chance to make the call in overtime. You know, uh, that just was one of those situations where you get into a matchup and you get into a bind. And if someone has your number, like you got to say, hey, you know what? Bro, you you're the top corner in the league. You're one of the best corners. You got to switch and let somebody else kill you. I'm not going to keep letting uh, letting you just have a jump ball and throwing it up and getting getting the pi because this man is struggling. So I think that's more on the on the DC honestly uh, for not making that adjustment for not switching his game plan. Like you can't continuously be that stubborn and say, well, this is this is our defense and this is what we're going to do. You got to be able to make adjustments. Say, hey, you know what? He's struggling. He's not having the best game. After after the second penalty, you definitely got to make the adjustment, and you never did, and it cost you the game. And not only that, on that third and eighteen, third and eighteen, after Micah Parsons, who, by the way, that dude just is coming. He is he is he the ad- stay at the end. What'd you say? I think he should stay at the end. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't dare put him back at linebacker. He, it would be. I would move Lawrence inside. Put Gregory at the end. Put Parsons at the end, and put Lawrence at. I, I put Lawrence at D tackle. 
What I was going to say is, first of all, he's the he, he's going to be the rookie of the year defensively. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Secondly, they don't you know they don't have Lawrence right now. When they get Lawrence back, I hear you, but they don't have him right now. Thirdly, Dan Quinn was in man to man on third and eighteen. What the hell are you in man to man coverage for on third and eighteen? When they got when the you know it's not one of those situations where you know a ten yard gain on a throw underneath is going to get you in field goal range. They were at their own forty three after Parsons basically was responsible for two big plays, and then they go man to man on that play. So I thought again, the, I, again, I just think that's the stubbornness of your DC, and we see yeah. why Dan Quinn you know, ended up out of Atlanta because you're making these calls in situations that, like, that's bad defense. Why are you a man-to-man? But you know what? You look throughout the NFL, and we're talking about this. Well, a man-to-man is third and 18, but you'll get a, a, a third and three call, and you got your cornerback sitting in zone playing <laughs> seven yards off, basically giving up the first down, like, Okay, throw the ball right here, and you can have that first down. Don't worry about it. Game context is everything. I agree with you, by the way, on what you just said. But third and long, when they when ten yards on an underneath throw and a rally to tackle isn't going to put them in field goal range, you can't you can't be in man coverage. You cannot be in man coverage in that situation. Anyway, um, uh, real quickly on the Cowboys because they were the story yesterday. That was the game of the day. You were oh, – when I talked to you earlier this year, you know, maybe only like a month ago, you thought they were really good and they were a legit Super Bowl contender. So what do you think of them now after they've lost three in, uh, three out of their last four? Well, again, it's, it's hard to say. Injuries? Because injuries, yeah. So with injuries, Lawrence has been out for, uh, for quite some time. Then you lose Gregory um, and you lose your receiver. So – it's hard to say what a complete team looks like. I think they're a better team and gives you a, give you a better option when they play through the run. You know, instead of having Dak throw the ball fifty times a game, play through the run. You got two. You got two running backs, and you give Pollard ten carries and Zeke nine. Neither running back can get going with that. You know, like that's two carries per quarter for Zeke if you look at it, and a carry in overtime. He's not going to have a good game. There's no consistency in that. The same for Pollard. You're giving him two carries per quarter and two in overtime. You know, so you got to be consistent with your running game. I know your O-line is banged up. You're missing Smith. You're missing this guy. You're missing that guy. But you still got, you know, like you got to make those adjustments and say we're going to play through the run. We're going to give Dak an opportunity instead of making Dak win every game. Now, it was impressive for them to even come back and make that a game because they were getting smashed. And then all of a sudden you have a kick return, and after the kick return you let them march right back downfield. So I'm looking at Dan Quinn because you know this offense is capable of exploding, although they're not putting up the numbers that they were because the receivers are banged up and you're missing the old lineman. But that offense responded. But defensively, you can't – come on, man. You can't give up 30, 33 when your team can come out and score 30 
whenever they get ready. Just hold them to 21. That's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not even asking you to play a perfect game. If you go out and give up 21, we win every week. Yeah, and you know the, the the lack of balance there. You know, some of it had to do with just the flags that were flying all day. I mean, there were twenty eight penalties in the in, in the game, and you know, sometimes you look at those things, and it wasn't necessarily the case yesterday. It, you know, and I'm not I'm not saying that it was yesterday why they got away from the run because a lot of those penalties were on defense, but you know, down in distance sometimes you know uh, dictates everything in terms of runs versus passes. Let me just, before we get to Washington, this has been a crazy stretch of football, right? With all the double-digit dogs, you know, winning outright, you know, Jacksonville a few weeks ago, Houston last week, you know, uh, it's been nuts in the NFL. I mean, I, I think personally it's like this almost every year, but I think even the last couple of weeks have been almost unusual with um, how many big-time favorites are either, that, that are losing outright. And then even last week, I mean, Tim Boyle in Detroit nearly beat Cleveland. Who's good? I mean, it's a question we ask each other as football fans all the time. But right now, give me the team in the AFC you think is going to be in the Super Bowl and the team in the NFC that you think is going to be in the Super Bowl. Well, my AFC team has changed because there's one team that I'm realizing – when they want to, they can establish their identity and they're starting to lean on it, and that's the coach. And you look at what they're doing with Taylor, and then you, you, you got options, T.Y. Hilton just coming back, so you're going to start spreading the ball around. The kid Campbell is playing really good. So I think the coach can end up being dangerous because they know what they have in Taylor and uh, the kid from NC State. You know, that, Himes, that yeah. two-man Himes. combination. Yeah, yeah Himes and Taylor. And I'm so, like, those two guys together, you know, we're playing through them. And then that defense is coming together. Their defense was already pretty good with Leonard, and the corners are starting to come into their own. Like, their secondary is starting to come into their own. I thought Tennessee was on the, on the way. And, you know, here he goes down. I'm just not sold on Tannehill and not being able to get Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Like, you got Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. You're supposed to be bombs over Baghdad. Like, everybody (laughs) is is loading the box because you want to stop Henry, but you can't even get the ball to these receivers. So um, I'm really really starting to like the coach. The Bills are inconsistent. Uh, I think the Chiefs are starting to get hot. You saw them last week. Uh, kind of shut Dallas out with a horrible defense. So I think that, you know, can give them a spark if their defense just go out. And like I said, hold a team to 21-28 because you know Patrick Mahomes and these other weapons are capable of, 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 of scoring 30 points a game. I was telling someone yesterday, I said, you know what I think would be a huge pickup for either the Ravens or the Buffalo Bills? If they were to make this pickup, which would be Philip Lindsay, it changes. Why did he get released? What? Why has he, after the year he had in Denver as a rookie, why is he bounced around? Something must not be right. No, I just don't think that the Houston system fits him. You know, if you saw him, if you remember him from Denver, yeah. it was the same. It was the same thing. Give him the ball. You got to feed him and get him going. You can't. 
You can't give him spots like, oh, here, here's your two plays this quarter and here's your two plays. If I got any running back, I'm going to get him involved in the first quarter or the second quarter, not in the third or fourth quarter. At least come out and attempt to say, hey, you know what? At halftime, this kid needs 10 to 12 carries, and now I know what kind of game he's having. And people that, oh, well, the game didn't dictate or the game got out of hand. The game got out of hand because you had three three and out where you tried to throw the ball, throw the ball, or you, you had a, oh, we're going to run it on first down, and now it's second and, and nine, right. and we're passing, passing. You know, uh, you can. what happened to the draw play? You know, what happened to draws? If you're going to pass the ball this much, why not run a draw? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, just seems the simple things I feel like teams have gotten away from. And even if you don't want to run the ball, What's the the quick passes? You know, get the ball. Yeah, the run the run extension throws. Yeah, yeah, like let him get his shoulder square downhill where he can go make a play. As I watch running backs, they're constantly back. Even with Kamara, the Saints get Kamara the ball going downhill. If you watch, he might run a little bubble when he catches it. His shoulders are square. He's able to make somebody miss, and now he's off to the races. You look at Christian McCaffrey. The Panthers don't turn Christian McCaffrey back to the ball. So he doesn't have to catch the ball, turn around, right. and find where the defenders are. Yeah. When he catches the ball, he's already looking downfield. And I make this one guy miss, or this, you know, I make these two people miss, and he's off to the races. Every other team that you look at is like sit down, check down. So now the running back catches the ball late, or he catches the ball with his back turned. I saw, I saw it happen to Zeke. Uh, you, they tried to go to Zeke on like a third and eight, then maybe he picked up four or five yards. But if you give him a ball where he's coming downhill, you can still throw it. If you give him a ball where he's coming downhill, those two guys get out his way because he's full steam ahead compared to those two guys being able to game tackle him because he's trying to straighten up and break to the sideline because he don't see it. You know, I turn around and I'm running away, and you're already there. So I I just think for offensive coordinators, everybody is scheming to win, 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 and it's always a slot receiver. If you look at the Raiders last night, they were bringing Deshaun Jackson across field knowing that it was a man-to-man defense with the Cowboys. You know, and Stephon Diggs, you're locking – you got Stephon Diggs in a match with Edwards. They weren't even going to Edwards. Right. You know, like, at some point, Tra- you got to Trayvon Diggs, yeah. Well, I mean, Trayvon Diggs. Yeah. At, at some point, you got to say, well, hey, you know what? They're killing me with crossing routes and adjust to it. You know, the run extension throw stuff, when you mentioned McCaffrey, um, yeah. And, and the you know, the other guy um, that, that Atlanta was doing this early in the year with Patterson, with Corderell Patterson, you know, using him in the backfield and then throwing him the ball and leading him so where he catches it, you know, he doesn't have to turn. Um, uh, it's, it's such an effective way. Uh, by the way, you, you, you didn't answer the full question. You gave me the Colts in the AFC. And it is interesting to sort of look at the Colts situation. Like, they, they lost that ridiculous game to Baltimore on a Monday night. They lost in overtime to Tennessee. Other than that, 
they'd be in the midst right now of like an eight-game winning streak. You know, they've got they've won six of eight, and their two losses were to the Ravens and a comeback win by Baltimore in an overtime to Tennessee. I like them a lot as well. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot and learn a lot this Sunday against Tampa. But you didn't answer the full question. Who's your team in the NFC right now? So the NFC, I think Tampa, same for Tampa, inconsistent uh, running the ball. You you gave Fournette kind of the helm, and it looked like he was going to separate himself from Jones early, and then that, that digressed. And uh, the receivers, the receivers been banged up. I think he's got to force feed Mike Evans the ball. So I'm not really sold on Tampa. That defense uh, that you thought was going to be so good and flying around, even watching them again, against uh, us, uh, against the football team, they didn't look good, you know. And maybe it's the D-line not getting pressure, uh, the corner that they have. Bro, I would feel some kind of way if I stepped on the field every week and teams just came after me. Like, I would would really feel some kind of way. If you look at Tampa uh, cornerback, what's, what's the kid name? Who, Murphy Bunting? No, the other one. Uh, He'll be having some rough days. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Winfield? No, no, Winfield was Whitehead. He's a safety. Yeah, Whitehead's a, right. White, White, Whitehead's a safety too. The other corner, Dean, Dean. Yeah, Dean. Dean. Yeah, oh, uh, thirty-five, Lord. thirty-five. Yeah, yeah. Bro, teams look at Dean. If every play, the quarterback walks up to the line and start talking to the receiver that I'm guarding, and they're just coming <laughs> at me like. At some point, what happens to pride? At some point, I'm taking something away. You're not going to just keep on coming at me and I'm, I have no impact at the game. You get the most opportunities to change the game and you don't, you know. Um, I, th- I think guys got to become uh, accountable to say, hey, you're not going to – it's not easy over here. You know, like this is not easy pickings, and we don't have that. And, and you look and he make one play – on first and ten, you break up a pass or a guy miss a pass. You didn't break it up. The ball was thrown over your head. You celebrate. And then they come right back on second down. They go 35 yards, and you're looking crazy. And then they come back and you get a P.I. <laughs> so I, I just I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I, I really don't. I want to believe in uh, the 49ers. I think the 49ers are going to turn the page once they get healthy. If you look at Debo Samuels. I was watching oh, Trent man. Williams. Oh, he's having a great year. Bro, Trent was driving people six, seven yards Ky- off the line. Just- Kyle said Kyle said the other day, this is Trent Williams' best season as a pro. That's saying a lot. Bro, I, I would believe it because I'm I'm watching Trent Williams. It's like the first two times it happened, the first time it happened. I kind of glance. You know how you see it and the camera go away. And I say, boy, I think Buddy just got dogged. So I came back and they ran the same play. And Trent just come across like smashing his man. And I'm thinking, why Why did we get rid of him? You know, like, well, because why did he, we he, let him go again? Wait a minute. He didn't. He wasn't going to play here. Well, he, I know He, that, he didn't, tru- he didn't trust anybody in the organization. And if we had traded him earlier, we would have gotten a first-round pick or something close to it. Instead, you got bullshit for <clears throat> for trading him. But, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that, that's the organization. So you – I mean, let me just make sure I'm clear on this. 
You picked a six and five team in the AFC to go to the Super Bowl, the Colts, and it sounds like you're leaning towards picking a team that's five hundred right now to make the Super Bowl. I'm looking at teams that's starting to get better and find their way. No. It's easy to go out and say, well, the Cardinals, the Cardinals. No, it's not this, easy. Been it, it, it's not easy. That's it's my it. point is I don't think anything's easy right now because I think, you know, even when you think you've got it figured out, like in Arizona or Tampa or Green Bay or the Rams or the Cowboys um, or Tennessee, you don't have it figured out. Things, this, it's, it's been a crazy season. It doesn't to me. It's not nuts like, at all to pick somebody like San Francisco uh, or Minnesota or like I think Philly's really good right now. I think I think Green Bay has a shot. I don't think you know Philly is young, so they're dangerous because it's a really young team. I just don't think their linebackers. I haven't bought into their D line defense. You know, um, they're missing that some defense, pieces. Yeah. He can dominate whenever he get ready, but. I haven't. I'm not sold on their defense, but I, I like what Philly um, is is bringing to the table. Like they're in the game uh, week in, week out. But I, I honestly think Green Bay um, can can get you in a situation, especially this time of year. Um, and I told, I said I was watching Jamal Williams with the Detroit yeah, Lions, with Detroit. and I said, I said, man, I know that that. Taking that extra money, he's miserable playing with the Lions and leaving Green Bay when they had a shot. You know, like and I, I know the money wasn't too far off that you couldn't have stayed in Green Bay. Like, oh, I'm just going to Detroit because I want to be the man and I'm tired of being behind Aaron Jones. And you go and put yourself. You're a star running back, but oh, Swift is a star running back. Yeah, Swift but got hurt. You go and Swift. Yeah, you go into a situation that's that's not where you want to be. I'll be begging them to send me back to Green Bay because uh, Aaron Jones, you know, he gets banged up, and you got to have somebody. Dylan somebody is else Dylan's good, Clinton. Dylan, Dylan is running down people's throats. Yeah. So uh, I mean, we, you know, Jones was was hadn't been healthy the last couple of weeks, but I don't know how much room there would have been for Jamal Williams. But let me just ask you this: Was there ever a moment you were here? And you had an opportunity to be somewhere else. Me? Yeah. Was there ever an opportunity when you were here, after you got traded here, at any point in time, that, you know, because you ended up signing a couple of extensions to stay here, was there ever a time you thought about leaving or trying to get out of here? No, I never, I never signed an extension there. I came. Well, they, they, they kept, they, they restructured your deal a couple times. Yeah, just to get that's under what the I mean. cap. But yeah, that exactly. Was some, that's yeah, what I mean. It, that was like some, some garbage. The only time that we came to the table, I guess it was uh, uh, 08, you know, uh, Zorn's first year, that I asked to be traded. And it was just one of those right. situations where uh, it was the end of the season. We were playing in San Francisco, and we had gotten into it, like, behind the scenes because everything was starting to leak out and, you know, like you had this conversation, and ten minutes later, it's breaking news, and you're like, "Man, what the hell?" Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, you, yeah, you told me this story. Happening? Yeah, I remember you telling me this story. Now, now that I think so, about it, yeah, it was, it, it was like a lot of stuff going on that made you side eye, and you start looking around the locker room. This is when all the 
uh, uh, sources, you know, begin. Sources say, sources say, and you like, man, we just walked out of memes three minutes ago. <laughs> Who in the hell, um, you know, like put this out to the media that quick? And that was the year. So it was 08. We were in San Francisco. Um, it was our last game. We were out of the playoffs. Yeah, well, you were a couple of games removed from the Baltimore thing with you and and Zorn. Yeah, so that's where it started in in that space. Yeah. And then it just continued. You know, uh, it started prior to the Baltimore game, um, and he he called me into the office and said, hey, I'm uh, going to sit you this week so I could see you practice. Um, so, so you can get healthy for practice. I said, what the, wait, what the hell? And he was like, yeah, I, I need to see you practice more. I'm basically leading the league in rushing, and you're talking about practice. <laughs> so, yeah, Alan Iverson. We had this situation, which was Baltimore, and then we had Dallas the following week. Yep. And, you know, we go from Pittsburgh game where Troy Palomalu knifed at my, my knee so I was kind of banged up. We had a bye week. You come back Baltimore and come back Dallas. We're trying to you run came it. back Dallas and it I was, mean you came back Dallas. Yeah, it was Dallas. It was that Sunday night when uh, what's his face um, ran it down your throat at the end of the game, Marion Barber. Yeah. So so you come back Dallas and then Baltimore, where basically coming from, I had to buy Dallas Baltimore, and over those three weeks, I probably had. 55 yards combined. And I'm like, man, what's going on? And he calls me in and say, well, I want to see you practice more. And then we go back to Seattle, and he was so scared of getting his ass kicked in Seattle that he leaned heavy. Like, he was like, oh, I'm going to have to use you. It's going to be loud. Like, I'm, I need you this week. And, you know, like, you know, basically begging me to be ready. Yeah. And then we go up to Seattle and win, and I think I had like 150, 160 yards rushing at Seattle. And after the game, this man, I'm talking about immediately after the game, says on the sideline, like, man, I just wish you would practice. Huh? <laughs> like, you're still four weeks straight. You harped on practicing. We just, I think we were six and five at the time. And... It was just one of those situations like you can't be serious. And then he he kind of lost the uh, team. I think the alcohol thing came about, and he tried to build these dumbass tents to cover you up from the rain. And you know, like it just <laughs> you it, it became you, it became yeah. You you thought he was total amateur. Yeah, like it was it was it was so pointless. But it all came together. We flew out to. San Fran on a Friday and we were playing on a Sunday and this man treated us like we were high school kids. Like we had a earlier curfew than we had on Saturday night on Friday night. Our curfew was earlier. We had a mandatory <laughs> like snack check in between nine thirty and and ten o'clock, which means you needed to be back at the hotel and then you had curfew at, like, 11. So if you come back at 
and check in for snacks, you get to walk out for another hour, and you got to be back in the hotel. So it just didn't make sense. And I'm like, bro, like, I I just want out of here. Like, I don't – it was so much adding up. And I just was like, I want out. And I, I talked to Dan, and I talked to – um. Vinny. Uh, Vinny. Vinny. You know, it, I think it was me, Vinny, Dan. Well, me, Vinny, um, Zorn, and um, who's who's the other pastor on our team? The the uh, his man, the the OC. Oh, oh, um, uh, oh, oh, um, who? Who? Sherm. Sean. Who? What was his name? Y- y- no, Sherm. Oh, Sherm Lewis. Yeah, 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 Sherm Lewis. Yeah, I, I thought you said Sean. Yeah, Sherm Lewis. They brought him in at the end of the year to, to or no, Sherm Smith. Sherm Smith was your running back coach. Sherm Lewis was the dude they brought in the next year to call plays when they were going to fire Zorn. Sherm Smith was your running backs coach. Well, so it was Sherm. It was Sherm Smith. Right. And it, that just wasn't. You know, and I told I was like, bro, I just want out. Like I'm not trying to get him fired. Just send me somewhere. And you know, I come back the next year, and I had the concussion. And the next year, and I had the groin. So right. I, it never really materialized. I know. But what or, ha- what or, happened? You've told me this story before, but I'm kind of forgetting. So when you had to sit down with everybody, wh- who convinced you to not, you know, push harder on the trade? Well, it was the end of the season. That was our last game. Yeah, I know. And it was our last game. It was the end of the season. And uh, Vinny, you know, Vinny was just like, let me handle this. Let's, you know, like, let me get this under wraps. Let's talk about it in the the offseason. You know, just keep it, you know, keep it, keep it down. And we did. And, you know, everything was supposed to, change and get better and you know we go through the off season and we we kind of had been separated you know like I got out of my uh got out of my feelings like okay bro whatever I need to do what can I do to help us you know and I'm I'm trying to buy in and it just wasn't once we came back you know I didn't get traded that off season once we came back right. it was it was even worse because I think he knew he was out and he was losing, and by that time, like just the the culture had changed to like all like you couldn't. I didn't know who to trust in that locker room at that point because he had put so many. You had so many company men that it was just hard to. You like what you know like. The guy that everybody ran to or looked to or was the go-between became like Randall L. He like <laughs> he just got here. No, are you couple like years, are you serious? Yeah, couple years ago, you yeah. know, like it just was one of those situations. So this is why for me, I, I, it kind of. This is why, with you and others, I've said to you, you know. Over the years, you know, you, you like sometimes you would push back, occasionally Cooley would push back, occasionally others would push back. And I'd say, you know, from the outside, it just looks like you are in a massively toxic organization. 
And those of you that were close with the owner would push back a little bit. But I think you realize as an older person now that that was a fucked up organization you were a part of. I just think you missed on leadership. If Greg Williams would have got that job, organization is totally different. Really? If Jerry Gray, yes. Mm-hmm. Because they had earned the respect of the guys that was there. Well, he wasn't. Jerry Gray. He wasn't the coach because the owner decided that he didn't want him as the coach. And that's the problem is that we've had the same owner making the decisions and there have been a lot of decisions that he could have made that may have changed the fortune of the franchise. You had three or four future head coaches in the organization in 2012 and 2013, and none of them are here anymore. They're all head coaches elsewhere. So there's lots and of. And they're all doing good. Yeah, then they're all doing very well. So, look, uh, enough about that, because um, I feel like we do that uh, when we talk uh, a lot. And I think that's actually a story. That you told before, I forget. I forgot how it, it ended, but basically, it ended because nothing happened in the off season, and you just came back. And Zorn was basically a lame duck anyway, because uh, you know they had had it with him. But I, I want to ask you about this year's Washington team. They've won two in a row. They beat Tampa. They had their most impressive all around performance on Sunday, and it was without a doubt Clinton uh, Taylor Heineke's best game. What do you think of them right now? They're four and six. And they're very much alive, you know, in the playoff race, actually, playing Seattle on Monday night. What, what is your take on them? I like Heineke, man. Like, I like Heineke. I think he brings a different energy and aura uh, to the city. He, you're never out of the game with him. And I think guys enjoy playing with him. You know, you look at – I look at the other guys. You know, when, when a play is made, how do guys react? You know, do the linemen go pick the quarterback up when when the receivers, you know, catch a ball? Or are they looking back at the quarterback like, my dog, you know, like, good throw. You, you see, like, all of those intricate details in the game that people might overlook is what I'm looking for. And I think I've seen Terry uh, make a huge third down catch and he instantly, you know, is like looking at Heineke like, I got you. You know what I mean? Like, come to me, I got you. You know, like, good throw, dog. And then you see, uh, maybe it was Cam Sims' touchdown, the, the, the little touchdown, yeah. uh, like the eight-yard throw where he threaded in between two, three defenders, and everybody is, is so excited. Like, I think he brings an energy that we're never out of the game. And then defensively, I think they simplified it, and guys don't look lost. You lose your 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 two uh, dogs on defense. You lose Chase and you lose uh, uh, Sweat, and all of a sudden, pain comes alive. You know, uh, not pain, but uh, Allen comes alive, and it's just something different. You know, and I don't know how long it's gonna last, but you just beat you beat two legit teams two weeks back-to-back without your without your, your dogs, you know. And then Gibson. I think Gibson has a simple fix for his fumbling. What? But no one has addressed it. It's, it's so simple. And he could just go dominant hand, which would be his right hand, 
and bring the ball higher, you know. But when he's running through the line, he's loose with the ball. Like you saw it, a, a defender just got his hand out. Right. It wasn't even a – he just got his hand out and, and got his hand on the ball. And you have to protect, never give a defender an opportunity to get to that ball. You know, like that's – it's showing the ball. You got you, you got to protect that ball. But I feel as if they took him out of the game in the first half and they put him back in in the second half, and he came back, and he ran harder. He played better yep. in the second half after the fumble. And to me, if you're going to – that's kind of one of those things that mess up your confidence. Now, he's responding, which is, which is great. But if you're going to put me back in the game or if you're going to have me come back, leave me in the game. Don't take me out after I make a mistake. Then I got to sit over here and think about it. And then I'm coming back and I'm trying I'm trying to recover. Now he responded great he did. by coming back and, and putting it behind him and having a, a good second half. He ran harder. He Seventy eight yards in the second but, half on twelve carries. Yeah, which is which is not the norm. Like most of the time if you put a guy in that situation, they kinda shut down. So and you you don't think he should have benched him. You don't you don't think he should have benched him after the fumble. Bench him for what? You got and you came right back to him. What's the difference? Well, you came back to him in the second you half. Back, yeah, so you could have told me the same thing that you told me at halftime. If they had a conversation at halftime, <laughs> so you don't think you there was any benefit? You don't think there was any benefit for him to sit down after that fumble and watch McKissick and Patterson take the rest of the carries? Well, I think I think the benefit came. He got an opportunity to see them run. And he got an opportunity to get in his feelings and say, you know what? Okay, when I get back out here, I'm ready. So I think, again, I don't think that happens often. You know, normally a guy shuts down, which he did a great job responding because McKissick came in and had a big run. And then when you put him back in, it's like, all right, I I see this. And now I see it. But just taking me out of the game and isolating me or letting me go cold, like, if you're going to put me in, I'm going to make mistakes. You know, like, and you have to know as a team, hey, you know what? You don't take the quarterback out of the game when he throw an interception. (laughs) Well, no, but he's had – You don't let the quarterback – But he's had a fumbling issue this year. Well, you know what? Have have your running backs, Coach – Fix that. Well, you just gave a... If he's having a fumbling issue, then when are you going to address it just as a coach? You address that. You fix that. Um, And you think the answer is to to, to dominant hand, right hand, ball higher rather than a second hand on the ball? Yes. Okay. Um, Back to Heineke for a second. Okay, I I get what you think about him, and I think a lot of people agree with you. Do you think that he's a long-term franchise quarterback answer? Who should be? I think he should be. I think he's played his way into that opportunity. You do? 
So you yeah. you wouldn't in the off season be looking to draft a quarterback in the first round, you know, sign a free agent quarterback like a Matt Ryan if he becomes available or something like that, or trade. You think that that aiming high, for, that Taylor Heineke fills that that order, that he's the guy for the next five to seven years as your franchise quarterback, and he can lead you to double digit wins and postseason wins and potentially a Super Bowl. I I I think that I think if you go get Heineke, a receiver to go along with McLaurin because Samuel been hurt all year. Like we ended up in the worst situations with our signings. It's like, oh, we got this guy. We got Curtis Samuel. He he's been on the field once. Right. Yeah, he might. So be. I think you yeah. go get. He might what? He might play Monday night. I, I I have Rivera on the radio show every Friday, and he said there's a chance he could play, and maybe even Logan Thomas on Monday night as well. We'll see. Um, but he's missed Logan uh, Thomas dude, too, you know, all year. You get him a tight end, you get him another receiver, and you put weapons around him, protecting him, and you give him the weapons because he can make the throws, he can get out of the pocket. I think his decision making is he don't make you don't see him making too many bad decisions. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Well, he has. You just got to put weapons around. He's him. made mis- he made mistakes in in the Denver game and the Green Bay game. I mean, he's made some mistakes. Yeah, he's had he some can, bad games. Yeah, but what we're used to in not having weapons. In the Denver game, Denver got a good defense. Green Bay, they got a good team. I know. Like, you have a bad game or two, but the way he's responded, the way he bounces back, the way he continues to fight, I think gives you – you know he's young. You know he's raw. Now you put this around him and you protect him, I think he gives you I, – I, I think he gives you. You know, you look at the kid in, in Chicago – Justin, Justin Fields. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, would you rather have Justin Fields or Heineke right now? Um, Justin Fields. I, I would take Heineke right now. I'd say No, right no, no. Now, I'm not, not, I'm not talking Justin about for, for – I'm not talking about for a game on Sunday. I'm talking about for the future of my franchise. I would take Justin Fields. I don't know, man. I think Heineke can play. I know you do. And I, I and I think the first the things that you mentioned when you first said I really like him is everything that Rivera's been saying too. The intangibles, the fact that teammates really like him, that they respect him, that they 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 they, they connect to him, they believe in him. Like all the things you said you're looking for, the things that Rivera is 100% convinced he has. So we'll see. I mean, I think 2 weeks ago the conversation about him being the future of the franchise for most people was over. But he just put two incredible games back-to-back, and really the Carolina game's the first flawless game he's had. Um, all right, uh, what else did I have for you? Uh, college football, real quickly, do you give Michigan any chance tomorrow against Ohio State? I don't, do you? Only because you know the way I think. The I thought people were expecting the point spread to be like 14 and it's only seven and a half. So I think, you know, it's fishy. 
Um, and that's why I give Michigan a chance. But if I didn't know anything about point spreads or how all that worked, I would have watched these teams and I would have thought Ohio State's going to win by three touchdowns. But I don't. I think Ohio State quarterback is coming into his own. That receiver is unreal. Which one? Both both of them. Both of them are unreal. You're right. Both of them. Wilson and Olave. I like Olave. I like both of them. Um, I mean, they, they score. They. I, I, I mentioned this to Van Pelt on the podcast earlier this week because we were talking about Ohio State, and I, we were talking about who would be favored, Ohio State or Georgia. Uh-huh. He thinks Georgia would be a slight favorite. I, I think it's like a pick if they end up playing in the national championship game. But do you know in that Michigan State game last week, they had seven drives in the first half and scored touchdowns on all seven of them. They had 500 yards and a 49 nothing lead at halftime on Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. Michigan State wasn't wasn't ready for that. I, I agree. The coach was was still negotiating, um, and it worked out for Mel Tucker. I think he's a good coach, and I think he's what Michigan State needed. But when you look at Ohio State, it's like looking at Oklahoma when they were playing all the close games, and they bring the kid in, and uh, Caleb you know they good. switch Rattler, and, and all of a sudden they come alive, and then this kid have a bad game, they lose, and everybody is bench him, and you want to go back to Rattler, and they kind of lost their identity. Um, when you look at Ohio State, Stroud kind of struggled. Early. Through early, yeah, he struggled. But the last three, four weeks where he's figured out football, and, I'm, you know, I'm just, I just hate the Buckeyes. Like, I stay away from them. But every time I look at it, I'm saying, boy, this boy done caught fire. Because, again, look at his teammates. Look at everybody around them, how they're responding to him. So I think early on where you get drops, you you know, your running game wasn't the same. You're trying to find your way. Now, when you step on the field, you know this kid is going to give you 42 points. Like, the defense can't screw this up, you know. And I don't think Michigan – can score 42 against them. You know, I don't think Michigan has the athletes to stop those receivers. I don't think they have a corner for either of those receivers. So you're going to open up a lot, and Michigan going to have an opportunity where they have to punt. They're going to punt a couple times. I don't think Ohio State going to punt too often. <laughs> they don't. So they don't. They're gonna they don't punt at all usually. Um, yeah, they're going to get downfield and get points. All right. Uh, I got to run. I love doing this with you. I hope you're well. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And um, I do want to, at some point, have you on the show to talk about the 2001 team um, that you were a part of that, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on celebrating that 2001 team from 20 years ago at Miami. Um, so maybe we can do that next time. All right. Let me know. All right. Uh, have a good one. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Peace out. Clinton Portis, everybody. Uh, and for you, Taylor Heineke backers in terms of the quarterback of the future, the franchise quarterback, uh, you have a friend in Clinton Portis. He is on board with that. Uh, when we come back, smell test, a couple of quick thoughts about the Maryland basketball win and the Terps football matchup tomorrow. 
against Rutgers. We'll get to those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. All right, the smell test this week presented by MyBookie, and MyBookie's got a great promotion right now. We gave you the Turkey Day promotion with the Raiders-Cowboys game. Now we've got a Cyber Monday promotion to tell you about. MyBookie is giving you a bet one, get one free promotion on the next two weeks of Monday Night Football, starting with this Monday night, Cyber Monday, Washington and Seattle. Bet the game either way, spread-wise. And whatever you wager up to $100, you'll receive that same value back in a risk-free bet for the following week's Monday night game. MyBookie.ag this Monday to get in on this exclusive promotion. To set the stage before you redeem the bet one, get one free promotion, why not wager on the biggest matchup of Week 12, the Rams and the Packers late Sunday afternoon in a clash of two of the NFC's best teams. Set yourself up for success by doubling your first deposit also when you use my promo code KevinDC at MyBookie. That's promo code KevinDC to double your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with MyBookie. And as I've mentioned before, if you get to that promo section and there's something written in it already, erase it, write Kevin DC. They'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. That's free money. Even if you've got another site, take the free money at MyBookie and sign up. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. Let's get to the smell test. Um, and the smell test this week... Uh, included two games yesterday where I went one and one. I gave out the Bears minus three. I gave out the Raiders plus seven and a half. So I'm one and one to start the week, but I've got 11 more plays. Last week was five and seven as a follow-up to the eight no week that I had two weeks ago. Uh, Let's start with today, just repeating, because I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I like East Carolina plus 14 against a Cincinnati team that's in now the top four of the playoff rankings and is coming off their most impressive win of the of the year last week against SMU. I guess the Notre Dame game would be on the road the most impressive win, but it's the best they've looked offensively in a while. Public loves Cincinnati laying two touchdowns against ECU. ECU can score. I'll take East Carolina plus the 14. Tonight in the Apple Cup, Washington plus one against Washington State. Uh, that line reeks. Washington State should be every bit of a three-point favorite. Public pounding uh, Washington State. That game's in Seattle. All right, let's get to tomorrow. I want to start with the number one team in the country. They're laying 35 to Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech got absolutely smoked last week. Georgia Tech um, has had an interesting season because they're actually ca- they've been capable at times of being super competitive. They nearly beat Clemson early in the year. They blew out North Carolina. Um, They scored 40 against Virginia in a 48-40 loss. They lost to Miami in a close game, 33-30 a few weeks ago. BC, they lost to 41-30. And then they got beat 55-0 last week in South Bend. Georgia is laying 35 after Notre Dame beat Georgia Tech by 35. The public wants to lay the 35. I'll take the 35 and take the Ramblin' Wreck plus uh, the number in that one. 
Uh, the game that everybody will be paying attention to this weekend, it's really the biggest game of the year in college football. It's the biggest game of the weekend in any kind of football. Michigan in the big house getting eight against Ohio State off of that unbelievable perform- performance last week against Michigan State. The public's all over Ohio State. I'll take Michigan plus the eight. I have no idea how you keep uh, it close against the Buckeyes right now. But, you know, if we're thinking about teams that are pretty, you know, competitive defensively, you know, you only have to go back a couple of weeks ago, and I gave Nebraska out in this specific game. Nebraska was right there with a chance in that game against the Buckeyes. You know, I mean, you watch Ohio State the last two weeks against Purdue and against Michigan State, and you think they're unstoppable, winning 59-31 and 56-7. But the two games before that, close game against Penn State, uh, a nine-point win and a nine-point win at Nebraska. Michigan, I do think, is the best team they faced. Can Jim Harbaugh finally, finally beat Ohio State? We'll see. I don't know if he'll win, but I like them plus uh, the eight. Uh, also tomorrow, Northwestern's getting six and a half, seven against Illinois. Uh, Illinois's been pretty good. Uh, the public's backing the Illini at home. I'll take I'll take Northwestern plus the seven. I also like Minnesota plus seven um, against Wisconsin. Wisconsin's playing as well as anybody in the country. Now, they were in a dogfight last week with Nebraska. Um, that line is a little bit short. Wisconsin really thought to be a team that's going to go on. They're going to win uh, the Big Ten West. They're going to face Ohio State. That's what everybody's thinking in the Big Ten title game. Uh, but Minnesota, with a win over Wisconsin, throws this whole race um, into a tizzy. It puts Iowa back in play um, as a potential two-loss Big Ten team. Puts Minnesota into play. Um, I like Minnesota plus the seven uh, tomorrow at home in the season finale. I've given you three Big Ten games um, for tomorrow. I like LSU plus seven against Texas A&M, and I like USC plus seven against BYU as well. Nobody's got Southern Cal with everything that's going on there. Nobody's got LSU with everything that's going on there. Coaching changes. I almost gave you Florida as well. They're favored over Florida State. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's some sharp money on the Knolls, so I stayed off that one. Let's go to Sunday where the Giants looked horrendous on Monday night. And they're only getting three and a half against one of the hottest teams in the league, the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll take the Giants plus the three and a half. I like the Broncos plus three against the Chargers. The Chargers right now are the big, biggest public play along with the Eagles on Sunday's card. Um, I like the Broncos at home. And then the Rams are favored right now at Lambeau. They're favored by one. The public is backing the underdog, the home underdog there. I'll take the Rams. There's your smell test. Uh, East Carolina, Washington today, Georgia Tech, Michigan, Northwestern, Minnesota, LSU, and USC tomorrow. The Giants, Broncos, and Rams on Sunday. I almost gave you Florida. I almost gave you the Jets. Um, I kind of like them again. Um, But there you go. 11 additional plays to go with the two from yesterday for the smell test. Uh, Two quick things before we wrap up uh, the show for uh, the day. Maryland plays Rutgers tomorrow, and the winner goes to a bowl game. Maryland's favored by a point, point and a half. I don't know how, to be honest with you. Rutgers has been a much more competitive team uh, in some of these games than Maryland has. They blew out Indiana 38-3, to and Maryland held on for dear life, had to come back and win that game 38-35. to 
Um, Rutgers was actually close against Michigan State, a game that the score didn't necessarily indicate um, how competitive that game was. They also were close against Michigan earlier in the season, and Maryland and was in a game against Michigan where Michi- Michigan could have named the score. Um, I think Maryland's got a chance tomorrow, and I hope they get it done, and I hope they're in a bowl game. But, man, they are an undisciplined football team, that's for sure, and that's been their problem more than anything, along with a lot of the injuries they've had. Um, that is a fair defense of their season. They've had some real difficult injuries, starting with the Dante Demas injury that really threw them off uh, offensively to be missing, you know, debatably their best offensive player. Real quickly, too, Maryland won in basketball last night after trailing by 12 against Richmond. It was their best performance of the year so far. I know a lot of you who are Maryland fans will say, Jesus, they had to rally from 12 back to beat uh, Richmond. Richmond's one of the oldest teams in the country. They were picked to finish you know, fairly high in the A-10. Maryland's basically almost played an A-10 schedule at this point. They beat Richmond. They lost to Mason, um, as you know, and they beat GW. Um, winning this game 86-80 to after being down 12, uh, I think they won it in part because they played with incredible tempo. They really pushed. Uh, they've got a player in Fats Russell who can really get out on the break. They got a lot of easy looks in transition. They pressured more defensively with their 2-2-1 full court pressure. They at least burned some of the shot clock and made it easier to guard on the other end. You know, I know you've heard me say this about Maryland's opponents this year, Vermont and 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 Mason and Hofstra in particular. I think they've played some pretty good teams in those teams. I do. Um, and I know some of those teams have lost games since they played Maryland tough or beat Maryland in Mason's case. Um, but I think Richmond's a decent team too. I think Maryland's playing a schedule without brand names so far, but teams that are pretty good teams and will prove out to be – you know, top half of their league in Vermont, in Vermont's case, probably the top of their league. Maryland still has Louisville on Saturday in the second half of this Bahamas tournament. Um, and then they get Virginia Tech and Florida in the non-conference still. Um, so it doesn't get that much easier in the non-con. They actually play, um, there's another uh, weird game that they play. They play Brown from the Ivy League and Brown um, beat somebody the other day that was decent. Um, they played Carolina really tough, and then they beat somebody from the Mer- Missouri Valley, and I'm forgetting who that is now. But uh, anyway, the schedule, I think, ultimately, even though there's not a lot of brand non-conference teams, although Florida uh, is a good one and Louisville is a good one, and Virginia Tech, I think, will prove to be a good one as well. Uh, Florida, by the way, is undefeated, um, and they they beat Ohio State the other night. But I, I think that... Um, I think the schedule is is tougher than you think it is. Uh, they're five and one. They get Louisville Saturday morning. I really enjoyed the pressure and the pace that they played with in the second half. I thought that was a big difference maker. Um, that'll along with Richmond just flat out missing a couple of open threes that would have made a big difference. But it was a seventeen to three run in the final f- uh, five minutes that got them a six point lead. Then they. Ended up winning by 686 to 80. 86 points, by far their most this year, and it was their best performance in the second half by far. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, Enjoy the weekend. Back on Monday with an NFL and college football recap, but also a preview of the Washington-Seattle game. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. 
When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.